0: we are continuing in a series today through Genesis. We've talked about a lot of great things. We've seen a lot of great themes uh, through the book of Genesis. Today we're in chapter 28, but we've seen God's sovereignty, how he is just sovereign over everything. We've seen his incredible faithfulness. We've seen the wonderful balance between his love and his judgment because of his holiness. We've seen man's constant bent and temptation towards sin with God's constant mercy and grace that are greater than his sin. Today we're going to pick up, uh, like I said, picking back up on chapter 28. But we've seen that God is a creator of all. We've seen sermons on the fall of man, how Adam and Eve sinned. We saw Noah in the worldwide flood. We saw Abram's call and God changing his name to Abraham and God's covenant with him. We saw Isaac's family being incredibly dysfunctional, and that's what we're going to really talk about today. We're going to pick up on that story. If you remember, Isaac and Rebekah had two sons, Esau and Jacob. Esau was the oldest, and he was also Isaac's favorite because, of course, he brought him game. It's very clear that Isaac was probably from Kansas City. He loved barbecue, and so... Esau would go and he would hunt wild animals and he would fix them up and bring them into his father, which his father absolutely loved. And so he was uh, Isaac's favorite. Uh, Jacob uh, was more of a mama's boy. He was the younger. And uh, like I said, Rebecca's favorite. Now, Rebecca and Jacob, so mom and younger son, they schemed together how Jacob could trick his kind of aging, uh, somewhat hard to see father into giving his birthright and blessing to Jacob instead of to Esau, who actually was entitled to it. Uh, Because of being the elder son, he was entitled to the birthright and the blessing. But mom and younger son schemed together uh, so that her favorite, Jacob, could get that. We saw that uh, previously. That's kind of where we're picking up. Today, I want us to see four points in this chapter 28 uh, with some really big practical application for us. You know, sometimes we uh, read these stories in the Old Testament and we think, well, that's really good history. That's really good to know that stuff. But how does it really apply to me? Does it really have anything here for me today? I, I think there are some really great lessons for us if we'll just uh, open our minds to them and, and let God teach us. But here's what the t- sermon title is today called uh, God Shows Up or God Showing Up. Uh, so there is a good shows up and there's a bad shows up, right? I mean, think about that for a minute. There's a bad shows up, gentlemen, right? When you do something really stupid, like uh, work on the plumbing before we're turning off the water, and your, your wife walks around the corner and sees water spraying everywhere, that's a really bad show up. That's a bad time to show up, right? Or your crazy drunk uncle who only comes around every five years, he just happens to show up at your kid's birthday party because you put it on Facebook, right? That's maybe a warning not to do that, I don't know. Or it's Friday afternoon and the director of HR at your company shows up in a suit in your boss's office talking for an hour. That's a really bad show up. But there are some good shows up too, right? You're in a meeting at work and and you offer a really great idea that everybody is very excited about and the owner or the CEO surprisingly shows up to see how things are going. And they're all talking about your wonderful, great idea. Or someone in your family begins choking at a restaurant and the head of medicine at KU shows up out of the crowd because they just happen to be eating dinner there and save your loved one. That's a really good shows up. Now there's a bad shows up and a good shows up. Today, we're gonna talk about the good shows up and how that happens in Jacob's life with God. So let's get started. Here's what we see first. Isaac, dad, sends Jacob to find a wife to find a wife. In Genesis chapter 28, verses one through five, here's what it says. says, Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Paddan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away and he went to Paddan Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother." Now, this is some really good advice. Isaac gives uh, some really good advice to his son, Jacob. He tells him, son, go and find a wife that is committed to the ways of God uh, through our family. But perhaps he wasn't just sending him away to find a good wife. He may have been sending him away really to protect his life. Because if you remember, Esau was so angry at being, uh, having the birthright and the blessings stolen from him, he had vowed, to murder his brother. And so perhaps uh, mom and dad decided we need to, need to send Jacob away to protect his life. But he also said, hey, I wanna give you some good advice. Go and get a good wife. Don't take a pagan wife from the Canaanites, which were where, where they were at, the locals. Say, listen, don't, don't take one of these women to be your wife. Now that's really, really great advice, but that's incredibly poor timing. You know why that's such incredibly poor timing? because Jacob was 77 years old at the time. Now dads, if you wait till your son is 77 to start talking to him about what kind of a wife he should get, you have missed the boat. <laughs> you, you've dropped the ball terribly, all right? Uh, he, he, had, he had waited till he's 77. Now the other thing is, if you think about it, Isaac has never told Esau this. There's no record of Isaac ever saying to Esau, the older brother, don't take these Canaanite women as your wives. Go get a wife from God's people. And the problem was Esau already had two Canaanite wives. He'd already missed the boat. He'd already made some mistakes there. Isaac's passive fathering here, folks, now increases the rift between Jacob and Esau. Esau's so, so angry, so jealous. Why does dad give him advice? And he never gave me that advice, and I'm already in this terrible position. I'm already messed up because he never talked to me, never told me. If you remember, uh, Isaac played favorites when they were young. If you remember, Jacob stayed in the tent with his mom, and who knows what they were doing, maybe a little embroidery or something. We don't really know but Esau was going out and hunting wild game and bringing them into dad. That's what happened when they were young and, and it was clear that Isaac had to favor it. But now it appears, since Jacob has stolen the birthright and the blessing uh, from Esau, now it seems that Isaac's favorite has shifted a little bit because of the blessing of God. And in fact, in this passage, we saw that he blesses him again. Isaac blesses Jacob even again. And so they send Isaac off to find a wife. We'll talk about some of those other points here in a little bit when we talk about the practical application. Next, we see that Esau tries to gain his father's favor unsuccessfully. Look at verses six through nine. It says, now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padanaram Aram to take a wife from there. And that as he blessed him, he directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Padanaram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Neboeth. So here we see that Esau responds to his father's command to Jacob by taking another wife who is not a Canaanite, hoping somehow to please his father, hoping somehow to maybe be the favorite again. He was once clearly the favorite, but now he's trying desperately, desperately to gain his father's favor. Many a man spends his whole life trying to please his father, and yet never being able to live up to it. Books are written about it. Movies are made of it. And yet, somehow, Esau now can't find it. Perhaps if he'd lived in Iowa and built a baseball field, his dad could have come and they could have made it all right. But alas, he didn't. Listen. Listen. His unconditional love and acceptance from his father eluded him. Although he tries to gain it so desperately, there is no record that Esau ever gave any kind of advice or uh, that uh, Isaac ever gave any kind of advice to Esau about his marriage. But we also see in these verses that Jacob does leave to go to Ram to find a wife. Now, that may seem kind of unimportant or not a big deal, but let's really see and understand this trip that Jacob is beginning, okay? Uh, These are probably not cities that you know well. He is going alone on a 500-mile trip with nothing but his staff and the clothes on his back, knowing that it will take a long time, knowing that he has aging parents and perhaps this trip is gonna take so long to get there, find a wife, marry her and come back. He may indeed never see his parents again. And he has a brother just waiting and wanting to kill him. He has to feel alone. He has to be scared. I can't imagine just going off totally and completely on your own with no one to go with him to make this 500-mile journey. So Jacob begins this process with all of these questions, all of this uncertainty, and guess what? God shows up for Jacob when he least expects it and when he needs it most. It's kind of how God works. Look at verses 10 through 15. It says, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, There was a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Wow. When God shows up, he shows up. So he shows up in a dream to Jacob and he shows him that the place where he is at is the land which he is promising to Jacob, and it's the place where the angels of God go to and from the earth. It's kind of like a heavenly escalator, okay? With angels coming back and forth. It's it's known as Jacob's ladder. Sometimes you'll hear that term, but it's really uh, this word ladder. This this uh, word really doesn't translate all that well. It's probably more like uh, uh, the stairs. Um, on the side of a building. It doesn't really make that much difference. The point is the angels are going up and down on it and God is at the top giving him this wonderful promise. But look carefully at how God addresses himself in this passage. He said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham and of Isaac. What's missing? What's missing? He never says your God He never says, I am the Lord, your God. Any relationship Jacob has had to God up to this point was based on his father's faith and his grandfather's faith. It was not his own. For Jacob, God was revealing himself to him and saying, I have this constant connection with the world from heaven and you are in the place where that takes place. In John 1, verse 51, Jesus says this. He says, after this, you will see the heavens open and angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Where God was communicating to Jacob that this is the place where you are, where you have found connection with God, Jesus was saying later in the New Testament that he is now the one where we find connection to God. But God was clearly trying to help Jacob understand, listen, here is a place where I I want to bless you. I want to connect with you. I don't want to be just the God of your grandfather, Abraham, or the God of your father, Isaac. I want to make promises to you. I am making promises to you. And how does Jacob respond? Because this is important for us. How should we respond when God shows up in our lives? Uh, my, my guess would be you haven't particularly had a great dream recently about God showing up in your life, right? Uh, maybe last night you dreamed uh, you owned a quick trip and you were serving things or, or, or you dreamed that you were a, a lawnmower at a golf course cutting. Lawn. I don't know what you dream. I have some weird dreams. I don't know what you dream, but I'll bet that most of us don't dream that God shows up and shows us a ladder to heaven. Or a group of stairs to heaven but he does show up folks he does show up Jacob wasn't expecting it but God showed up how did he respond how should we respond we should look at Jacob as a model well here's how Jacob responded Jacob responds by worshiping God look at verses 16 through 22 Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and he set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow himself saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house and of all that you give me, I will give a full 10th to you. He wasn't expecting God to show up. He just showed up. That's what God does, folks. Sometimes God just shows up without us expecting it. Jacob was probably at his lowest. He was alone, running from his brother, trying to stay alive, away from his mom, probably for the first time, going to a place he did not know, to a group of people he didn't know, and God shows up. God revealed himself and told Jacob what he would do for him. And Jacob responds with a vow of his own. Uh, By the way, we need to look at this carefully because uh, it doesn't translate just perfectly in English. Uh, It it sounds like Jacob is is being very conditional here. When we see the word if, that really means since. Okay? Because if, if you read it this way, if God will be with me, so if he does, and will keep me in this way that I go, if he does that, and, I, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, if he does this, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, if he does that, then the Lord shall be, then the Lord shall be on my, if God does all these things for me, then I will make you my Lord. But that's not really what it means, okay? Really this word if should, should more clearly be translated as since. let me see if I can find it again, Okay. Because God has already said, I will do these things for you. He's already promised to do it. And so really what it means is, since God will be with me, because he's already promised to, and he will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. Since he's gonna do this, he's gonna be my God too. He's not only the God of my father and my grandfather, but today, 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 I'm no longer resting on their faith in Him. I'm putting my faith in Him. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Folks, we cannot rely on the faith of our family to secure our relationship with God. I don't care if your dad was a pastor or a missionary or your grandfather. I don't care if you come from a a long lineage of faithful people that served and worshiped God. It doesn't matter. We can't rely on the faith of others to secure our relationship with God. It has to be personal, it has to be our own faith. Our faith is not private, but it's personal. Sometimes we get those confused. We think, oh, I don't talk about my faith because it's very private. Folks, your your faith should not be private. It should be public. People should know what you believe. People should know that you act differently because you love Jesus. People should know all that should be public, but it's still very personal. It's very personal. There are parts of my relationship with God that I don't share with all of you that I share with a very select few. It's a very personal thing, but it's a very public thing. People should see and know that we are followers of Jesus. Then look at his first response to this newfound faith. When he decides, I'm no longer going to rest on the faith of my father and grandfather, but now I'm going to have faith in you too, God. Since you're going to do these things for me, I'm going to do this for you. What What does he commit to do? Does he commit to praying every day? No. Does he say, God, my life is gonna be a service to the community from now on? No, he doesn't say that. He says, I'm going to commit to give 10% of everything I get from now on to you, God. And he does that without being told. Think about this. There's no law yet that tells him he should tithe 10% of everything that he owns or earns to God. There's no rules or regulations. Uh, There's nothing yet that tells him and teaches him that this is what he must do. This is his knee-jerk reaction to having faith in God. Folks, the natural response to a personal relationship with God is generosity toward him. Are, are Are there other things too? Yes, of course there are. But, but the answer to the question, can I be a faithful follower of Jesus and not give? The answer is no. Not because it's some legalistic mumbo-jumbo that we're, we're you know, saying you have to do this to do this. It's not that. It's the fact that it's a natural response to God's mercy and grace. Listen, folks, when I go to the doctor's office, which isn't very often, I know, uh, but when I go to the doctor's office and he takes me that little hammer and hits my knee, there is a natural reaction that takes place. I don't plan before I go. I don't plan, hey, when the doctor hits me with that thing, I'm going to throw my leg out there. I don't do that. I don't have any conscious thought of what I'm going to do. He hits my knee with that little hammer and my leg just jerks out, right? That's just a natural reaction. And the natural reaction to meeting the God of the universe in a personal way, uh, the natural reaction to getting connected with him and feeling indebted to him for everything, for all of eternity, the natural reaction is to become generous back to him. It's the knee-jerk reaction. Yes, are there other parts of the Christian life that are important? Of course there are. Of course there are. There are many other disciplines that we should practice as Christians. But it's not in order to gain something from God. It's because we've already received from God. When somebody says to me, hey, Pastor, can I be a, uh, you know, I can be a really good Christian that follows Jesus really well without coming to church because I can worship God on the, on the golf course as well as I do at church. Really? Show me that. So, so when you go and play golf, You have the same focus on your spiritual life as you do when you come to church? When you go and play golf, you get encouraged by all the guys with you that are playing golf with you the way you should be encouraged by God's people? You feel connected to them in a way that you have this deep uh, uh, purpose in your life of playing golf that equals the purpose of winning the world to Christ? That's just silliness, folks. It's just people wanting to make excuses for not doing the things that are, they know are important. Can you be a Christian and go play golf on Sunday? Yeah, you can. But is it as beneficial for you? Is it the natural response? If you really know God and his son, Jesus Christ, and you see what Jesus has done for you, are you just as inclined to go play golf as you are to go and be in God, with God's people and worship him? No the answer is no. And it's the same with giving. Hey, you know, I can I can I can love God and I can be a Christian and not be a generous person. Is it possible? Perhaps. But I would say at some point there's a disconnect with what you really understand God has done for you. I'm challenged by what I need to keep, not by how much I have to give when I realize how much God has done for me. And man, listen, I'm I'm a knucklehead. I've just done some really stupid things in my life that have caused me uh, troubles and problems and issues and circumstances. And I see God's hand of mercy and grace, his patience with me, his undying love for me, and his mercy as he gave his son to die for me. I feel so indebted. If he never did a thing for me, If he never did another thing for me starting right at this moment, I would still be indebted for the rest of my life, for all of eternity to what he's done for me and how he's blessed my life. That should make us want to be generous people, folks. And if it doesn't, I want to challenge you, there's a disconnect there. But we see here in Jacob's life that God reveals himself where he wants to and how he wants to. Perhaps, he's even knocking on your heart right now or tapping on your brain right now, saying listen, I'm right here. Give me a chance to really change and transform your life. I can do it. I can do it. That leads us to some practical applications before we leave today. The first is this. Seek acceptance from God where he is waiting to offer complete acceptance. Folks, God is right here. God is not in some place. In the book of John, Jesus says, hey, there's a, you know, you've talked about there's a place to worship, but there's coming a time where it won't matter where, it won't matter how. You're gonna worship me in spirit and in truth. That's how you're gonna worship me. We don't have to go somewhere. God is right here. Jesus made God's presence known and available to us wherever we are. He opened the door. He ripped the veil of the Holy of Holies. There is only one way to receive God's acceptance and his love and mercy, and that is through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, you may say, wait a minute, Michael, doesn't God love everybody? Yes, he loves everybody. It's out there for them, but they must respond to it. They must accept it or they don't get the benefit of it. God is ready to accept you right where you are and change you and mold you into a better reflection of his son, Jesus Christ. Sometimes people think that they got to clean their act up to come to church. No, you don't. No, you don't. Just just come here and be messed up with the rest of us. Not that we revel in that. Not that we say this is how we're going to stay. But listen, listen, If you wait and get perfect before you come and engage with a holy God, you're just never going to do it because you're never going to be perfect. But what you can do is say, God, here I am. Flaws and all, mess ups and all, sins and all, rebellion and all. I give it to you and I ask you to help me change. His spirit will come into you and he will change you from the inside out. A couple of more quick things I want you to see. First of all, actively parent and instruct our children. Listen, don't be passive. We see here what Isaac has done and he dropped the ball with his sons. Instruct your children and model for them before they make mistakes, not after. Don't tell them how smart you are and what you should have told them after you didn't tell them. Okay, be active. And by the way, gentlemen, moms are just frankly better at this. Moms are more active in their child's lives as a whole than most of us fathers are. We have a tendency to be passive. Don't be passive. And when your 14-year-old comes and says to you, hey, uh, mom and dad, I'm I'm dating Susie at at, uh, school, Uh, don't have the whole discussion with, I mean, you you can't have that discussion. Don't have the whole discussion with them. Oh, really? Where are you going? You're going out? Where are you going? You're 14. You don't go anywhere. Okay? I, I get all that. All right? I've had children. Uh, that age. But listen, when they say that, that's the first time you need to say to them, hey, uh, is Susie a believer in Jesus? Is she a Christian? Because I'll bet most 14 year olds will go, I don't know. She's just really cute. She wears those little ribbons in her hair and I like her. That's how they're, that's what they're not going to know. But folks, that's when you need to start teaching them. That's what you need to start teaching them. Don't wait till your son comes home and tell you he's going to marry some woman that you're like, man, this is a huge mistake. She doesn't even care about God at all. Don't wait till then to start talking to him. Be active in your children's lives and instruct them from the time they are old enough to understand your words. And God will bless you and bless them. And by the way, don't play favorites. Okay? There are no kids in here. So listen, we all know we have favorites, but don't, I'm just kidding, kids. That's a joke. (laughs) There are no favorites. That's a joke, okay? But here's a way to find out. Talk to your kids, and if they all think that each other is the favorite, uh, you're probably well-balanced. If they all think the other one's the favorite because they get in trouble, you're probably well-balanced. And you go, If they all think the same one's the, the, the favorite, and, and he says, well, frankly, I am the favorite, you're probably a little out of balance there. You need to work that out a little. Listen, I know our kids are different, our kids are different. You've got to parent them different. You've got to instruct them different. You've got to discipline them different. They are all different, and we've got to do the best we can for each one, but don't play favorites. Isaac increased the problems in his son's lives by playing favorites early on and playing favorites later on. And lastly, folks, when God shows up in your life, respond to him with faith and worship. When he shows up in life, respond to him the right way. Maybe you're saying, well, that'd be really cool. I I can hardly wait to get to sleep tonight and see if he shows up. No, no. Folks, he's already shown up. He's already shown up. He showed up 2,000 years ago in the form of a human being named Jesus Christ. And he gave his perfect life on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins so that we could know God that we can know the creator of the universe, the theme of Genesis and the word of God and the whole universe is God and worshiping him. God has shown up for you, whether you recognize it or not, he has shown up. And by the way, he shows up in other ways too. He shows up in other ways. Do you realize that he wanted you here today? As I look at this congregation, this congregation with these people in these chairs has never in the history of the world ever taken place until today. I don't know why God wanted you here, but he does. If you're here today and you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus, I wanna encourage you, don't leave here today. Before you do that, before you accept that love and mercy and grace into your life, and you can receive it in a very simple way. Just with your heart, pray and say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I can't do anything to stop sinning. I've tried, but I, I can't do it. But I, I accept what Jesus did on the cross to pay for my sins. I put my faith and trust in you. I give my life to you. I, I, I turn from my sins and, and give my life to your hands. And I yield to whatever you want me to do for the rest of my life. When you do that, folks, the Bible says you pass in that moment from death to life and he will change your life. He will transform you in many, many ways from the inside out. But if you're here and you've already put your faith and trust in Jesus and you think, hey, I, I, I've got it done. It's, it's checked off. I know Jesus. I'm going to heaven. It's all taken care of. Folks, he still wants to show up in our lives. He wants to show up in your life and change the way we think about things, change the way we view things. He wants to mold us into a better image of his son, Jesus Christ. When I see myself and who I really am, and I see Jesus and who he really is, I still got a long way to go. There's still a lot of things that got to change. And he's working on me, and I'm trying to, as he shows up and helps me and teaches me, I'm trying my best to just let him mold me into that. But he also wants to work through you and in you. He he wants to use you uh, today. If you go out for lunch, he wants to use you with the person that's serving you. He wants to use you as an example and, and someone who loves them. You have no idea what they're going through. I've had waiters actually break down in tears because I simply asked them, hey, we're getting ready to pray for our lunch. Is there any way I can pray for you? And they break down in tears because... Either somebody they loves going through a terrible thing or they're going through a terrible thing. In fact, uh, one time we even had a, a, a waitress say, yeah, I, I've just moved to town. You can pray for me to kind of acclimate. And so we did. And about 10 minutes later, she came back and she said, hey, the reason I moved to town is because I went through a really terrible divorce and I had to get away from my ex-husband. And, and I, I don't know anybody here. My life is a wreck. I just, and she began to weep. So we prayed for her right there. Folks, God wants to use you. He wants to show up in your life and do cool stuff through you. He just does. He has chosen to use people who have committed their lives to Jesus. He has chosen to use us to do His bidding on this. Listen, we can't change a person's heart. I know that. But He wants to use us as His messengers. He wants to use us as an example of His love and His mercy and His grace. He wants to do that today. He wants to do that tomorrow when you go to work. He wants to do that when that knucklehead cuts you off in traffic. He wants to use you in a thousand ways that I think sometimes we miss because we're just not tuned in to God showing up in our lives. Pay attention. Get tuned in. When he shows up, yield. Yield to him. His plan is always best. And he wants to do great things in us and through us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your spirit that guide and teach us. Lord, we are so thankful that we are not left to our own thinking, to our own ideas about the way the world should work or what we should do as humans or uh, how you want us to uh, be. Father, we're thankful that you direct us, you guide us. Father, help us to be in tune with you. Help us to have such a deep and abiding relationship with you that we just see it when you are interjecting into our lives when you are showing up and wanting to use us to minister to others. God, for those who are here that don't yet know you, I pray today that they would realize you have gone to a lot of trouble to get them here today. You've, you've worked through other people or invitations or whatever to get them here and that they've heard how they can be connected to you. God, knock so loudly on their heart that they simply can't ignore you. And if they do, Father, I pray that you would keep them up tonight, that they would not be able to sleep, that they would be remembering what they heard, and they would simply yield to you, give in to you, give their lives to you, that they could begin to live life at a whole other level, transformed by your word and your spirit. God, we love you. Help us to be generous people because we just have a natural reaction to your generosity towards us when you gave your first and your best, Jesus Christ on the cross. In his name we pray, amen.